Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, April the 8th, 2022. It is currently 4.12 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, whenever there is controversy, whenever there is disagreement, whenever there is division, whenever people begin to take sides, someone needs to come along and say, okay, listen, here's the controversy. You're on this side. You're on this side. Let's take a step back. Let's take a deep breath. And let's look at the bigger issues and set aside for a moment the names, the sides, the teams, the tribes. Let's set all of that aside and let's look at the deeper, the bigger issues. Because sometimes in the middle of controversy and division, everyone just is fighting. Everyone's taking a side and you're either accusing or defending. And in fact, it almost kind of breaks out into like a debate, right? People are trying to make their arguments. And what happens is no one's really listening to the other side. No one's listening to each other. Everyone's just talking past each other. And typically what happens, all of the debating, all of the arguing, just all it does is kick up more dirt and just clouds the issues even more. And rarely does any actual light arise from the situation. It's just anger, frustration, discouragement, uh, and division. That's all it really leads to. So I'm going to do my very best in the midst of a controversy to try to have us all step back and go, okay, whatever side you may be on, whatever team you may be on, whatever your thoughts are, maybe you're on the accusing side or maybe you're on the defending side. Can we all just step aside for a moment? In a sense, put down all of our weapons and let's look at some very important, serious theological issues that can get overlooked in the midst of all the controversy. Do you think you can do that with me today? Do you think do you do you think you can? You may not even be aware of the controversy, and that's wonderful. That's great. But there will be many of you who will hear this. You're right there in the controversy, and you have strong feelings. Can we all just set that aside for just this episode and consider some very important theological issues? I hope we're willing to do that. All right. So first, let me remind you of the controversy, because it is not pretty, it is ugly, and I definitely can understand why people have some strong feelings. But here's the timeline of this controversy. Are you ready? March the 8th, 2022, at 6.25 p.m. March the 8th, 2022, 6.25 p.m. The following article was posted online. Headline, exclusive, John MacArthur shamed, excommunicated mother for refusing to take back child abuser. Let me read that again. Exclusive, John MacArthur shamed, excommunicated mother for refusing to take back child abuser. That was the first article that, in a sense, set the fire. It lit the fire. And the fire has been spreading since then. And everyone is taking sides and everyone has strong opinions. 
the, the, this story refers to a case between a wife by the name of Eileen Gray, her husband, David Gray. He was physically abusing his wife. His wife tried to find some help from Grace Community Church. Before it was all said and done, she ends up excommunicated. Not only does she end up excommunicated, she then finds out that her husband was doing more than just physical abuse. He was sexually abusing their children. He ends up in prison. Eileen Gray, the wife, remains to this very day excommunicated. The whole story is crazy, and it brings up lots of theological issues, and everyone's taking sides. I'm not here to get back into the Eileen Gray, David Gray case. I'm not here to argue it, debate it. That That's not the point here. I'm just trying to show you, here's the controversy from which these issues we're going to be talking about arises. I'm not going to go back through everything that happened. So that was the first story. Again, that was March the 8th, 2022, 6.25 p.m. Headline exclusive, John MacArthur shamed ex- excommunicated mother for refusing to take back child abuser. And just in case you don't know all of the details, David Gray, the husband, is still in prison. He came up for parole recently and it was denied. He's in prison and Eileen is still excommunicated. Right, So he was found guilty of sexual abuse of children. He's in prison and, well, Grace Community Church doesn't feel that Eileen Gray's excommunication should be removed. It's it's kind of just, yeah, it, it just, it's a really bad, horrible story. But then the story did not stop there. On March the 17th, 2022, at 8.44 p.m., another story was posted, exclusive, John MacArthur's church supported convicted child abuser and pedophile records show. This was referring to David Gray. David Gray was found guilty of sexually abusing children and goes to prison. How did Grace Community Church respond? From what it appears, they supported David Gray almost like he was a prison missionary for Grace Community Church which is absolutely staggering. Like, here's a man who's found guilty of abusing children sexually, and you're like, well, well the church just, I guess, believes he's he's innocent. They, they don't have any, they, they, there's claims that they have evidence that proves his innocence, but I mean, if they do, they should be bringing it to attorneys and bringing it up before the media and prove the man's innocence. But at this point, we haven't seen any of that, and it seems like they supported him. I don't know if they've cut off that support in the midst of all of this controversy, but that's they're supporting him while the wife remains excommunicated. You, you see how the story is not a, a pleasant one? But then you think, okay, that, that has to be the end of the story. Well, that's not the end of the story because on the same website where these two news stories were posted, on March the 31st, 2022, at 2.18 p.m., they published a podcast where uh, someone analyzes abuse at John MacArthur's church. That was March the 31st, 2022, where someone they have someone on to analyze abuse at John MacArthur's church. So it just keeps adding and adding. So then you think it's over. You think, okay, that's got to be the end. That podcast is going to be the end of the story. It's horrible. Clearly, Grace Community Church is never going to apologize to the woman. Clearly, they're not, never going to lift uh, her excommunication. This is just tragic. And 
it, it does raise lots of questions about excommunication. There, there's, she tried to re- leave the church and they denied her request to, to remove her membership, but then they excommunicated her. The whole, the whole thing just raises so many questions. And we've talked about all of it in covering of this story. But that wasn't the end. Then on April the 5th, 2022, April the 5th, 2022, they publish the sto- a f- story with this headline. Head of counseling at John MacArthur School, that's Master Seminary. The head of that, uh, head of the counseling department, John Street, he's the chair, right? He's, he's the head of their counseling department, right? He said, he says this, wife, a wife should endure abuse like missionary endures persecution. And there were all of these clips of statements he made that the clips are very problematic. Once again, when we covered it, I said I didn't have the entire uh, audio, so I wasn't going to make any judgment. But we looked at the clips and then tried to look at some very important theological issues. Then late last night, there was more another clip from uh, John Street that is once again raised all kinds of major problems. And we reviewed, uh, I don't know how, how many minutes of that audio because we have the whole audio of that. And it, it raised some serious, serious questions. So we've talked about this a number of times. So here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get into what MacArthur knew, didn't know, what he did, what he didn't do, what Grace Community Church did or didn't do, what Master Seminary Church did or didn't do. I don't want to get into all of that. Everyone, there's plenty of people on the internet right now having strong opinions and everyone's taking sides. I want, as I stated from the beginning, I want everyone to take a step back. And I want to look at three important theological issues. All right. Number one, I want us to think theologically, biblically, logically about the good that the Bible seems to point to as a result of affliction. The Bible seems to indicate that in affliction, there is good that can come from it, that there is a, that affliction can be a good thing. All right, let's, we have to deal with that theological reality. Number two, seeking to escape it. If affliction, if something horrible can produce good things, is it ever acceptable to seek to escape the suffering or should you always have to stay in the suffering and endure it? This, the, these are theological questions that have arisen from this controversy. You may not have thought about it, but these are very important theological issues. Number one, the good that comes from affliction and suffering. And number two, seeking to escape that affliction and suffering. And then number three, suffering and Calvinism. Suffering and Calvinism. A lot of people see this entire thing going on at Grace Community Church that the reason they have their, the theology they have in regards to what a, an abused woman should or shouldn't do is because of their Calvinism and that Calvinists missed the point in all of this. Well, we're going to look at that as well. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. Now, all of those reports and that podcast that I mentioned, in fact, they dropped another podcast today, April the 8th, um, at 6.30 a.m., entitled, Should Christian Women Endure Abuse? 
You can go listen to it. All of these articles with all of the documentation, with the clips, everything can be found at julieroys.com. JulieRoys.com. Now, it appears that what a lot of people are doing, they're just attacking Julie Royce, right? Hey, she basically, she's garbage, so therefore don't listen to anything she has to say, which is not really an, a defense. It's not even really an argument. It's like, Julie Royce is garbage. She doesn't like MacArthur. Therefore, la, 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 I'm not listening. That, that's, no, you may not like her. She may have completely wrong motives. The issue is, all of these issues, look, here's what we do know. Eileen Gray is a real woman. David Gray is a real man. David Gray is really in a real prison for really, abu- for being found guilty of abusing his children sexually. Eileen Gray was excommunicated, excommunicated by Grace Community Church and the, she's still excommunicated and they seem to have support the husband who went to prison for abuse. That seems to be nowhere to deny any of that. So, so I, when people start trying to attack Julie, I'm like, how about let's talk about the issue at hand, right? So just that's where you can find all of it, julieroys.com. Go there, read every article, follow every citation, look it all up. There's court documents. There's, 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 I mean, you just look at all of it and you can draw your own conclusions. It's a horrible situation, but again, you can get so caught up in all of this. Who said what? When did they say this? What's the timeline? Who did this? Who did they? What? What? And and you'll just miss all of the important theological issues that should bother every single one of us who claim to be a Christian. So let's go through the issues at hand. Number one, are you ready? The good from affliction. Now, we know that every single one of us, when we endure suffering, when we endure affliction, when we endure pain, our first thinking, our first thought is, I want to escape this. I want this to go away. Remove this from me. How do I get out of it? Nobody just says, hey, just keep on making me suffer. Come on, bring in more suffering. Give me more cancer. Don't try to fix the cancer. Give me more cancer. My arm is broken. Break the other arm because I need more affliction. We all know that when we endure affliction, we seek to escape it. We want God to take it away. But is it true that the Bible does offer somewhat of a distinct and different perspective. The Bible seems to indicate that what may be horrible, what may be suffering, what may be painful, may actually be something in which God works for works for our spiritual good, something to bring us closer to him, to purify us. Is that a theological principle? Is that accurate? And is that true? Well, just to give you a few scriptures that would seem to carry this idea out, there's, there's a number of them, but we can get a couple of them, would be, uh, let's just go to Psalm 119, because Psalm 119 was used in one of the clips that we listened to yesterday. Psalm 119, where we have this uh, principle at least showing up in a couple of places. Psalm 119. And I guess the first verse that we could go to, uh, Psalm, um, Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67, where we read these words. The psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, 
I went to stray, but now have I kept thy word. The concept here is, hey, before I was afflicted, I was going astray. I was going my own way. But because of affliction, now I have turned to your word and I'm keeping your word. I think we can all agree that there are times where affliction can be of great spiritual value. It can turn our, it can remove love for the world because all I'm seeing in the world is pain and suffering and it makes me look for something outside of this world. That sometimes that when suffering can drive us to the word of God, it can drive us to our knees before God. It can make us see the futility of life, the, the frailty of life, the, our own frailty, our own mortality, and it can drive us straight to God. I don't think anyone can deny that the Bible speaks of this. Also, look at Psalm 119. Look at verse 71. Um, Or, see, yes, Psalm uh, 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Hey, it's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. We know of Joseph saying what you meant for evil, God meant for good, demonstrating that he that he knows he suffered. He knows his brothers did all of these horrible things to him. He knows he was falsely accused. He knows he was put in prison, but he realizes that in all of this evil, God meant it for good. God was at work in the situation. I think this is a, a pretty basic theological principle. And we all have to embrace this. That God can use suffering for our spiritual good to bring him glory, to break our pride, to humble us, to purify us, to help us grow for our sanctification. So I do agree that when we are suffering and when there is affliction, that we can and should consider what how God may use this for our spiritual good and his glory. I do agree that whatever suffering we endure, we should at least look, that should at least be a part of our thinking. Look, the suffering is horrible. The suffering is bad. But we look at it, Lord, use this suffering for to grow me spiritually, to purify me, draw me closer to you, and to glorify you. That is a right way to think in regards to suffering. Now, here's the question. Because affliction can produce good, And there's a biblical theology that would seem to embrace that idea. Do we stop right there and say, okay, look, you're being beat by your husband. That's affliction. You should just be thankful uh, to God that God is going to use that affliction to make you better and you just endure it. Don't escape. Don't seek to escape it. Don't, don't go to the authorities. Don't get a restraining order. Don't leave. Stay there and endure it because God uses affliction for good. It's one thing to say God uses affliction. Are you, are you going to then tell someone who's being abused to stay in that relationship? Most people would say that's ridiculous. In fact, I think most situations where someone is suffering, you know, hey, you're sick. Well, that's an affliction. Don't take any medicine. Don't go to the doctor. Hey, you know, I just, I was at work and I broke my arm. Oh, that's an affliction. Don't go to the doctor to get it, you know, fixed or get, or take anything for pain. I mean, nobody operates. We all know that there's plenty of times where we endure affliction and we look for ways to minimize the pain and the suffering and to escape it and get out of it. We do that in all kinds of ways. You know it and I know it. 
So should that lead to a, a theology that says, hey, affliction is spiritually good, so you should stay in it. I don't think we would. Why would that be applied to a woman being beat and children being sexually molested? Why would we recommend that? I mean, that just seems crazy because so many other directions, we don't do that. So number one, I do agree that the good comes from affliction and suffering, that God can bring good and affliction from it. And we should always look to how, God, I'm suffering. How can you use this? Please use this for my spiritual good and your glory. We should look at that and we should ask God for that. But does that mean that I should seek to stay in it and not do anything to alleviate the suffering? Well, that brings us to the second question, seeking to escape it. Can you ever seek to escape it? Well, let's look at some scriptures. Let's go to 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we have David and Saul. And Saul is not a big fan of David. In fact, he becomes very jealous of David. And look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's see here. Is it in verse, verse 11? Or we'll start in verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of the presence twice. David is tried to escape and dodged and got away from the javelin. He didn't say, well, I'm being afflicted. Let me just stand here and take it. Well, here, just, just stab me with the javelin. Here you go. Just, just run the spear right through me. Here we go. No, he seeks to escape it. He seeks to dodge it. I mean, you can't just overlook that. Here's David. Wait, the suffering. God could use this. God could use the suffering, right? No one denies God can use the suffering, but he still tried to escape it. Now, are you going to say that that was wrong? Are you going to say that was ungodly? There's an example of someone trying to get out of it, someone trying to escape it. When Joseph was in prison, even the great story of Joseph, right? The, the man who said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He even understood God's plan in all of it. But when he was in prison, and he got ready to interpret the dreams. He was like, hey, now I just ask when you get out of prison, don't forget about me. He was looking for a way out of the prison. Well, why would he? Well, he would just say, hey, when you get out, forget me. Don't do anything to get me out of here because I need to suffer more. No, no, he seeks a way out. So in other words, it, it shouldn't be this either or. Hey, God uses suffering. So as a result, you don't do anything to get out of it. You just stay in it. Now, I uh, listen, I think we have to say, Lord, now this is very important. In some affliction, we are afflicting. We say, Lord, use this. In any kind of affliction, use this. But it doesn't mean that I can, I can, it doesn't mean that if I say, God, use it, I don't do anything in my power to alleviate it or to, or to, or to do it. Or, you know, if you're being abused, that you stay in the abuse. That just, that creates a wrong way of thinking. 
All right. So number one, I do believe the Bible absolutely seems to teach that good comes from affliction. It purifies us. It humbles us. But it doesn't mean we can't see. And that's number one. So there's good that comes from it. Number two, we can seek to escape it. We have the story of 1 Samuel 18, 11 of, of, of David avoiding the spear, not just handling it. We even have Joseph. Hey, don't forget me when you get out of prison because he's trying to get out. And then we have this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know this story. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7, we know this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, here it is. He is suffering, but there is an understanding that the suffering is for good. There is a purpose in that suffering to keep him humble. And now look what happens. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Even the apostle Paul seeks to remove the suffering, get rid of the thorn of the flesh, that it would depart. He's not condemned for doing so. God doesn't remove it, but he's not condemned for asking for it to be removed. He's not condemned for seeking some kind of relief from it. A woman who's being abused, separating, restraining order, turning it over to the authorities, protect her and her children. They're still going to be suffering because the marriage is falling apart. They have to go through the legal process. There's still much suffering to go on. You don't have to just stay there and get punched and punched and punched and punched or your child sexually abused to, to somehow get the spiritual good. There's still suffering involved. There's almost like this weird idea that no, 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 no. Because good comes from suffering, you stay in it. But but that's the most hypocritical thing because anyone who would teach that, as soon as suffering happens to them, they seek some kind of relief. I guarantee it. So number one, good does come from suffering. Number two, it is perfectly biblical to seek escape and some kind of remedy for it. Now, here's the thing. And seeking to escape it, and seeking remedy for it? Yes, we are not to sin. We're not to turn to sin or an ungodly attitude or ungodly actions and seeking to escape it. But the escaping of it and trying to get out of it doesn't mean that it's ungodly. For example, David had an opportunity to kill Saul, but he did not do so. He handles himself in a very godly way. Now, this leads us to the third point. And the third point comes to us because of a comment on YouTube. Let me go to the comment on YouTube. All right, here we go. Let me find it. Got to turn the volume down. Here we go. 12 hours ago, someone posted the following comment. We go through these abuses and afflictions in life because of free will. And this is where Calvinism miss the point or Calvinists miss the point. God does use affliction to his purpose, but he is not causing this sin against these children. 
This is a situation where someone, uh, their understanding of Calvinism seems to, in their mind, say, well, Calvinists would say this has nothing to do with anyone's will and that God, God, God is using it, but God's not the cause of it. All right. I understand the people want to get, in a sense, God off the hook. And they want to say that Calvinists, in a sense, blames God. And, and instead of blaming God, I'm going to blame free will. And then every, then everything is good. Let me make this very clear. Whether you are a Calvinist or whether you're a non-Calvinist, if you believe that God is eternal, all-knowing, omnipresent, and all-powerful, you've got the same problem no matter what you do with free will. Let me tell you where your where your problem begins. It begins, well, in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God exists prior to the creation of anything. He already exists. He is eternal. And we believe this is this eternal God is all-knowing. So at this very moment, this all-knowing God, in the beginning, God created right before he creates the world he knows everything that's going to transpire he knows that one of his angelic beings he creates has either already rebelled or is about to rebel we can get a whole debate on when that occurs he knows that being is going to rebel he knows that once that being loose satan once he rebels he knows that he's not going to kill uh, satan he's not going to destroy him no, 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 no. Instead of destroying him, he's going to allow that individual to come to earth and go into the garden using a serpent. God could prevent it. God could stop it, but he doesn't. You don't have to be, look, even a non-Calvinist has to acknowledge this. God knew everything that was going to happen. He created Satan, knowing Satan would be the one to rebel and would be the one that comes in who brings the temptation. He could have, he could allow Satan to roam the earth, just could not come into the garden. Or he could have destroyed Satan. He does not do that. He lets Satan comes in. Now he created Adam and Eve. He knew that Adam and Eve was going to sin before they ever sinned. After they sinned, God would have been perfectly just and right to destroy them. But he doesn't. Well, the minute he doesn't destroy them, he then knows that every person born after Adam and Eve will be born with a sinful nature and that the world is going to be filled with sin. And there's going to be pain. There's going to be murder. There's going to be rape. There's going to be pestilence, disease, chaos, destruction, storms. He knows everything that's going to happen and he lets it occur. He lets it happen. So you can sit there and say, no, but, but it's, it's that person's fault. It's that person's fault. Remember, God is the one who started it all. So you can't say, well, it's, it's, you know, God, 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 God tries to use it. Well, obviously God isn't, God knows exactly what was going to happen. So somehow we have to understand that the pain and suffering somehow is a part of God's plan. And that, that's not, that, that's not even from a Calvinistic standpoint. That's just the logical result of believing that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. Because he doesn't stop the suffering. He creates the world knowing the suffering is going to occur. He's present everywhere at all times. He can intervene. We see in the Old Testament him intervening at times in very miraculous ways. And then other times he doesn't intervene. He intervenes and raises Lazarus from the dead, leaves John the Baptist to rot and die in prison. 
I mean, we have clear times of intervention and clear times of no intervention. He healed plenty of people, left Paul to suffer with the thorn of the flesh. Timothy had stomach issues. Paul had eye issues. But there's other cases where he steps in. So I want you to understand that that just saying, you know, hey, hey, this is a Calvinist problem. This is a Calvinist problem. How is it a Calvinist problem? Let's make it very clear. Everyone has the problem. God created a world knowing it was going to be filled with pain and suffering. I don't understand that. But that's the reality of it. We have to deal with it. And you say, well, then I'm just done with God. Okay, well, you're still left with pain and suffering in the world. Okay, either there's God created the world and somehow the pain and suffering is a part of his plan. I don't like it. I don't understand it. Okay, or will pain and suffering just exist in the world and there's no rhyme or reason to it? So you you don't, it's not a Calvinistic thing. So then what they say, and let me re- read the comment, because I think this is just very important. I think a lot of people just misunderstand how this works. All right. Okay. Um, so, someone else is just posting uh, comments on YouTube as I'm talking. Okay. <laughs> so, so we go through these uh, abuse and afflictions in life because of free will. And this is where Calvinists missed the point. Okay. Let's just stop here. Okay. Let, let's say, all right, Calvinists missed the point. Because all of this happens because of free will, right? Who gave men free will? If you believe in libertarian free will, if you basically have a Pelagian view of free will, let's say you either have a semi-Pelagian or Pelagian uh, view of free will. Okay, let's just say it's absolutely right. Okay, everyone has perfect free will. In other words, their sinful nature does not impact their free will because you can't, you have to be a Pelagian because you can't believe in a, that people have a sinful nature because a sinful nature would limit the freedom of the will, right? If the will is completely free, then people can freely choose to never sin. I, obviously it never works, but you would have to believe that people can, can, can never sin because they would be, have the freedom to do so. But so they, let's say people have this complete freedom of will. All right. Great. Free, complete freedom of will. Who created man with that freedom? The God who knew that freedom would be used to cause people to suffer. So you still don't, in a sense, get away from it. God is still involved. Why? You say, well, he had to give people free will. Why? Well, because he wanted people to love him. Are you saying God was so lonely he needed people to love him? He didn't need anything. There was perfect relationship within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect in unity, love, communication, everything. Right? One God, three distinct persons. So you, you can't, if you say God needed people and he needed people with free will, then you don't have a perfect God. You've destroyed the doctrine of God. He gave them free will. You're saying that he, that he so desired their freedom that he was willing to allow the, he, he was so had to give them freedom, even though knowing it was going to result in horrible, horrible acts after horrible acts. It was going to involve in Hitler's and murder and mass destruction and genocide and racism and slavery and rape. But hey, free will is so important. Like, how does that help you? God had to give us free will. He had to. He had no choice. What? God had no freedom? 
God had perfect freedom to create or not to create. He chose to create knowing the sin was going to be in it. So that doesn't still, that doesn't, I don't know how that supposedly fixes the problem. It doesn't fix the problem in any way, shape, or form. But let me even explain this. When you say this is where Calvinists missed the point, what do you mean by that? I believe every act of evil done by man is done by his will because his will is infected by depravity. Every action of man is proof of the sinfulness inside of him. Man is totally depraved. We see that and our even our good actions are filthy rags before a holy God. All of our good is tainted with corruption. All of the horrible happens proves to me that men inside of them have a sinful nature. They're acting according to that will. Their will is just not free to, to somehow bypass their sinful nature. Their will is not completely free. It is entrapped and taken captive by that depravity. And it manifests itself over and over and over and over again. I don't know where Calvinism comes into play here. You see, well, and then they, they, they go on to say in the comment, um, God does use affliction to his purpose, but he is not causing the sin against the children. Okay. You may not say, and this, this gets into, you may not say that he is the, uh, the immediate cause, right? You may not say that he's the immediate cause, but who's the one who created the world knowing that child would suffer? Who's the one who didn't intervene to stop the suffering? Hey, he's going to use it. So he's sovereign enough to use the suffering. He's just not sovereign enough to stop the suffering. So I, I, I'm sometimes always baffled about the argument between Calvinism and non-Calvinist. It's like, you do realize, well, basically it, like, for many non-Calvinists, the way they talk, they almost have to then, they have to almost turn to open theism and just basically deny God is all-knowing. Well, God didn't know what was going to happen. Okay, but has he figured it out by now? And if he's figured it out by now, he's still allowing the suffering to occur. Why doesn't he step in? Now, think about it. If God knew what was going to happen, created the world in which it was going to happen, has the power to step in to stop it, doesn't stop it, but has the power to use it, then it would be very difficult to say that God is not involved in the situation, <laughs> that God is not somehow directing it. Now, that doesn't make anyone, look, I don't like it. I don't like it. I want to make it very clear. Before I quote unquote became reformed or quote unquote became a Calvinist, I was struggling with these questions almost from the word go, way before I even knew what Calvinism was. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me make sure I understand this. In the beginning, my, my first issue, I think I, I say it all the time, you're, the biggest issue anyone should ever have with the Bible and God and theology and Christianity should be Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Time out. Wait. God created. Now, when he created, did he know all the stuff that we see today? Did he know it was going to happen? Yes. So he created it knowing it was all going to be suffering, 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 death, death, and that more people would go to hell than go to heaven. 
wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why would he do that? Well, and people will say, well, come, try to come up with a million different excuses, but none of them really answer the question. We are left with God is sovereign and God knew what was going to happen. And somehow it has to be a part of his plan. Unless you're saying God created it and it spiraled out of control and it was not ever to get control again. Well, if he, if he lost complete control, then he's not, he can't use the suffering because it's all out of his control. We don't believe God lost control. Now that, I want to make it very clear. When someone's in the midst of suffering, you don't run to them and go, hey, I just want you to know. (laughs) God knew what was going to happen and he's working in this. There's a time and place. You got to let people suffer and you got to let them grieve and you you got to to, uh, help them through it. But from a theological standpoint, I don't care who you are, Calvinist or non-Calvinist, you have a God who is all powerful enough to create the entire world, powerful enough to be able to tell you what's going to happen in the future with with giving prophecy, right? So he has to know the future. So you have an all-knowing God, all-powerful God, who's eternal and omnipresent. And yet he creates a world knowing exactly how much suffering would be in it. And certain times he intervenes, but majority of the time, he does not intervene to stop said suffering. Look at what's happening in Ukraine right now. Now, that makes everyone uncomfortable. Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets, no, 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 no. And so I'm going to get 900 emails with people trying to offer an answer, but in almost in every answer, there's going to be a major flaw in the logic. So some people say, well, so what are you saying? God created a world and somehow everything that takes place is a part of his sovereign plan and will. Somehow a part of his decree, a part of his providence. Now you could check the London Baptist Confession of Faith, Westminster Confession of Faith, and see the sections on God's providence, which we've studied in the past. There's no easy answer for it. But that has nothing to do with Calvinism. Forget Calvinism. It has everything to do with in the beginning, God. Who is this God? Is he all powerful? Yes. Is he all knowing? Yes. Is he omnipresent? Yes. Is he eternal? Yes. Is he all powerful? Yes. Okay. That God created the very world, which all of this was going to go wrong. Not only that, he created the very being who was going to rebel and be the, the one who would bring temptation to Adam and Eve. And he created Adam and Eve knowing exactly what they were going to do. And he allowed the world to continue knowing that the longer it continues, more people suffer, more people die, and more people will spend an eternity separated from God. Now, any good skeptic, any good agnostic, any good atheist is going to point this problem out. And, and Christians always try to offer some kind of bumper sticker solution and, and to make it, there's no way to, it, there's nothing to make it better. It is, it is a difficult situation. I just know that my option is, okay, there's no God. All right, well, now do I even have a moral way of judging what is evil? Do I even have a moral way of saying what is right and what is wrong? I don't even have a, a, a basis for the morality, which I'm going to condemn all of the evil that's happened in the world. I don't even have the ability to call it evil. So that's problem number one with abandoning God. And number two, now I just have suffering and pain 
And I would have to ask myself, so after all of these, you know, let's going from a secular point of view, millions of years of human evolution, we still can't get better so that we stop killing one another and hurting one another. And, and why do people continue to do bad? I would not have a good explanation for all of the evil in the world if I abandoned God. At least God lets me know why all of that happens because men are sinners. Now, I'm still left with the problem of why would God create a world knowing everyone was going to become sinners. I'm still left with a different problem, but at least I have some framework and try to understand it. And that somehow in the midst of all of the suffering, God is there. God is at work. And let me make it very clear. Every action done is done by the will of man. Just that will is not 1000% free because if it was, then they, all people on earth without salvation of any kind could simply choose to never do an evil act, which we know is impossible. So it, it's not a Calvinistic thing. It's not a Calvinistic thing. So what should our approach be to suffering, to abuse? Let's, let's just offer a couple of thoughts here. If a woman is being abused, children are being abused physically, sexually. That Our job as a Christian, condemn the abuse. Just absolutely condemn it. It's evil. It is wrong. It is ungodly. Number two, protect those who are being abused. Help them to be separate, protect provide, do everything we can to protect them. At some point in their lives, if they are believers, they need to understand that somehow in that suffering, God can use that to help them grow spiritually. Doesn't It doesn't mean that the abuse was right. Doesn't mean the abuse was okay. Just means that in that suffering, good can arise from it. We have to protect, we have to condemn, protect, and then help instruct and help them maybe see the suffering from a theological perspective. Doesn't make it any easier, and there's a right time to do it. But I don't see that there's any biblical justification for saying you got to stay in the suffering. There you go. I think we covered everything. So let me just say it again, because the Calvinistic thing, I keep seeing it pop up all over the place. It's on in my YouTube comments. I've seen emails. So I'm responding to a number of comments, not just to one. So I don't want any one person to take anything I've said personally. I just, I just anytime this comes up, I'm always like, because I've been in these conversations too many. I've, I've, I've sat in seminary, in Bible college, seminary, Bible Institute classes and had people debate these things. And I'm always just like, you, you do really forget Calvinism, forget Pelagianism. Just forget the theological titles. Is God all-powerful? Yes. Is God all-knowing? Yes. Is God eternal? Yes. Is God omnipresent? Yes. Did God create a world knowing everything that was going to happen? Yes. Could he intervene at any time? Yes. Did he? No. Okay. What's your conclusion? That somehow he's working out his plan and his purpose for his glory and his honor. And again, when, when it's like some people believe that. So, so I think some people believe Calvinists doesn't believe people have a will. No, we believe people definitely have a will. Just that will is infected with depravity. Therefore, they're not free to simply fall as Pelagius would have claimed. You're just free that there can be perfect people. 
You can just choose to never sin. You can just choose to always obey God. You don't even need God's assistance. You don't need the gospel. You don't even need the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything. You can just do it. Every act man does is, well, it's their will, but their will is 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 messed up. It's There's depravity in it. Our thinking is messed up, our will, our emotions, everything. And we say God uses the affliction, but he's not causing it, right? He may not be the immediate cause, but let's don't forget God is the ultimate cause of creating a world where it all was going to take place. Then there's no way to get around that. Now, the way, the way, um, the, t- the way we try to distinguish it so that God is not the author of sin, we usually say God used secondary means, right? So in other words, God, God didn't tempt Adam and Eve. Satan did. Now God created Satan. Satan had complete freedom, did not have a sinful nature at the time, obviously, had complete freedom whether to choose to obey or disobey. He chose to disobey. God then used, allowed Satan to do what he did, but you can't say, so you can't say God is the immediate cause there, but he, He's the one who is the ultimate cause by creating Satan, knowing exactly what Satan was going to do. It's just, it's like the, you can see it play out in the book of Job. God's not the one who put the suffering on Job, but he's the one who set the whole thing up. He's the one who allowed it to happen. He even put certain restrictions on it. So God may not be the immediate cause, but you can't, you can't just say, because some people almost like God just, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. No, God is clearly knowing what's going on. Or you're claiming that something's outside of God's sovereign control. And if it's outside of God's sovereign control, then God is not sovereign and God is not in control. Now, you can ask why, 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 why. I, look, I've got 900 why questions. Why, why, why? I, I'm not going to ever get those answers. Job never got the answers. When it's all said and done, Job didn't get any answers. And we don't get any ultimate answers. Here's what I know. God created everything ultimately for his purpose and his glory and his honor. That's what I know. And somehow, in all of the horrible things that happened, God's purpose and God's glory is being played out. I don't understand it. But guess what? Even though I believe that, I'm not going to tell someone, no, go back and suffer. Go back and get beat by your husband. Go back and let your children be abused. No, I'm going to say, oh, what your husband doing is absolutely evil. He is doing evil. He, his will is exercising evil against you. And we're going to step in and we're going to protect you. And we're going to provide for you. And we're going to condemn the husband and we're going to stop it. And we're going to contact the authorities. I hope that was helpful. I hope that was helpful. So let me make it very clear. I am not making an argument here for Calvinism. I'm not making a doubt. I will say this. I am not making an argument for Calvinism, but I am absolutely 100% condemning Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism because I reject them. Just as the early church condemned Pelagianism as a heresy, I still believe it's a heresy, and I condemn semi-Pelagianism, right? So I do reject those, but I'm not trying to make an argument for Calvinism. I'm just trying to make an argument to realize that you can remove Calvinism and anyone who believes in Genesis 1-1 and believes the God who creates us, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, you, you've, got, you've got the exact same problem. The problem doesn't just magically go away by saying, free will, that fixes everything. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. The, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. 
Uh, it just, uh, it drives me crazy. Like this, this is this whole case has nothing to do with Calvinism. All right, has nothing to do with it. I've seen independent fundamental Baptists who are as semi-Pelagian as you can get believe Calvinism is the, uh, you know, the ultimate evil on the face of the earth and still will say, that woman has no right to leave her husband or to go. She needs to stay there because that's what God calls her to do. She has no right to leave her husband. She should submit even if she's facing abuse. I've heard it from non-Calvinist and obviously from Calvinists. It comes down, uh, what it really comes down is to what do you believe the woman can or cannot do? Now, I'm not saying some Calvinistic ideas can't influence some of this. I mean, obviously, anybody can allow, look, put it this way. You can have, this is always important. You can have a theology like Calvinism, semi-Pelagianism, a lot of other things. And there's a lot of people who will take the original theology and abuse the theology. Don't condemn a theology because of someone's abuse of the theology. Condemn the abuse of the theology. Then deal with what the theology actually teaches. Don't allow someone's abuse of it. It's like it happened in the Bible. Some people took the, the doctrine of God's grace and abused the grace. You don't throw out the doctrine. You don't attack the doctrine of grace because someone abused the doctrine of grace. You condemn the abuse of the doctrine. A lot of people use the existence of God and they will use the fact that God exists and abuse that idea in some horrible way. Don't, don't throw out God, throw out the abuse of, of, of God. That we, we always have a tendency to, 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 well, we don't already like that doctrine. This is a good attempt to condemn said doctrine. All right. I'm going to stop there. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how this goes. I, I, I hope that was helpful. I hope it was helpful. I hope you understand that this problem is so much bigger than the, that all of these philosophical issues just, they just, they're, they're good. The, the problem is Christians have never been forced to deal with many of these philosophical issues. They, they come to church and get a bumper sticker answer and think that that fixes everything. But anyone who looks past the bumper sticker is kind of like, okay, bumper sticker maybe is an outdated term. Um, it goes beyond a meme on social media. It goes beyond a little cute saying you post on, on a social media post. It, no, it, you, you, church, at church, you should be struggling with these deep philosophical and theological issues, realizing, man, this is difficult. There's no easy answer here. And your little, little you know, thing, poster that you posted on social media, that doesn't fix it. That just gives you a sense of fixing it. But the, these issues are complicated. Now, what's not complicated, if a woman's being abused and children are being abused, they can separate. They can contact the authorities. They can get protection, and it is not sinful. All right? Doesn't mean that they're saying God doesn't use the suffering. They've already suffered. In fact, the trying to get away is going to have its own form of suffering. So God can use that suffering to help them grow just as much as staying there. I mean, God can use whatever suffering and however it shows up. There's plenty of things to suffer from in life. You don't have to say, oh, keep beating me because I need to grow more spiritually. That's just, that's a crazy, crazy talk. 
All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll probably do a couple. Maybe we'll do some more tonight. I don't know. But I wanted to at least get this out there and let, uh, well, let the cards fall where they may because I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad. But these issues needed to be talked about. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.